the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Andrea K Show. She's blonde, five foot two, and one hundred two pounds of dynamite in a dress. Here she is, Andrea K. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Andrea K Show, and as my voice would imply, I am not at all Andrea K. This is Justin Hart coming to you from. The studios of KCBQ here in San Diego. I am not blonde. I am not skinny. I mean, I'm I'm not really fat either, but but I'm definitely no Andrea K. Andrea is going to be gone this week, and so you have me. I will be with you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. The great Noah, our producer, is also here with me, and we're going to have a great time. And I'm going to be having some guests join us, especially in the next hour. We're going to hear from Amy Reichert. Amy Riker, for those of you who uh, don't know here in San Diego, she was running for county supervisor against Nathan Fletcher. Nathan Fletcher was was the head of the county supervisors here in San Diego past tense because Bye-bye. there was quite that's right there was quite the story over the last little bit. We'll get into that. He had to resign over something or other. Tomorrow night, we'll be talking with freshman congressman Kevin Kiley. Wednesday night, we'll be talking with Andy Biggs, Representative Biggs, Jennifer Say, a host of other people that I hope to have on the program here. But first and foremost, let me just introduce myself. I'm Justin Hart, the host of the Justin Hart Show, which airs here every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. Hope you tune into that. Of course, you can find us on iHeartRadio. I'm also simulcasting right now on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Justin underscore Hart if you want to follow me there. So I hope you tune in to all of these different broadcasts here. So who am I first of all? Well, look, I'm the host of the Justin Hart Show. I'm also, at the age of 14, I was the national anthem singer at the 1985 Super Bowl between the 49ers and the Miami Dolphins. Wow, I just learned something new. That's pretty cool. That is cool. Stanford Stadium, 1985, right? So, you know, if that isn't cause enough, over the last three years, I have become the de facto leader of a group of ragtag analysts, experts, moms and dads, activists, fighting terrible COVID policies. Uh, I wrote a book called Gone Viral, How COVID Drove the World Insane from our sister publisher here at Salem, Regnery Publishing. And beyond that, basically, I've been fighting policies tooth and nail here in San Diego, in California, on a national basis and internationally. And our group, my little ragtag group of Battlestar Galactica ships here and there throughout the country, we were the main data backbone for Scott Atlas when he was at the White House trying to right the ship that Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks and others bailed water onto. He was trying to dish all that out and trying to to fix things. We're still filling the ramifications. They're still bailing water. All of us are for those terrible COVID policies. If you feel the financial ebb and flow, you can point to that terrible day 
way back in March 2020 when they decided to extend all the lockdowns that were led by Dr. Fauci, led by Dr. Birx, unfortunately led by the Trump administration. Hopefully people have learned some lessons there. But some more background on myself real quick. I'm from the Bay Area. Don't fault me for that. As long but as I, you're not a Giants fan. Uh, well, I grew up an A's fan. That's, uh, that's okay. I can I'll accept to that. that. Okay, great. And, and I was, of course, a 49ers fan. But uh, I grew up in the East Bay in San Francisco. Loved my time there. Went to BYU. Spent a lot of time in D.C. And then lived a time there. Came back to California about 10 years ago. Now, my family goes back three generations here in California. But my wife, who is a native of San Diego... Born and raised in Escondido. Uh, we now live down here because she was here longer. Her family's been here since the 1800s. And so with that, she went out. And uh, we, are, we are here in California. We have, um, we have eight kids between us. It's a bit of a Brady Bunch family. They're not all hers and um, not all mine. They're all Brady Bunched together, if you know what Similar that means. Similar bo- boat, but you beat me by four kids. That's right. I have five. She has two. We have three together. That's eight. Can you do that math? Okay. Well, and so uh, I'm also as I'm also known for taking on the federal government. Right now, I am suing the federal government on several levels. It was a fateful day, July 2021. Jen Psaki, the then press secretary of President Biden, and Vivek Murthy, the still Surgeon General of the United States, got up to the pulpit over the White House press secretary pulpit and said. Why aren't these social media companies taking more and more accounts down that are not towing the narrative? And so dutifully, my account on Facebook, off. My account on Twitter, off. And so it it took me a lawsuit to get those back and reactivated. And since that time, I've been basically suing the federal government because look twitter and facebook they're private companies I, I i have limited leeway to go after them right but when the federal government uses them as proxy to silence me now i have a first amendment case and so that's still going through the courts the revelations from that have been very interesting and we'll get into that at some point maybe during the week here all these foia documents from the health and human services it was like a shakedown. I'll explain later. But one of the topics I'll also get into this week, because it's one of my favorite, I think it's super important, is that of artificial intelligence. I know that's out of left field, but that's my forte. I'm a technologist by trade, but I love artificial intelligence. Don't don't fault me. Noah's, Noah's looking at me like uh, I'm the devil incarnate here. No, no, no. I'm just a little, I, I've played around with it a little bit, and okay. I, it's, it's a little freaky to me. Yes, well, we'll, we'll get freaky. We'll get freaky with artificial intelligence to stay on. I, I promise I won't I won't kick us off the air. It's a good freaky. Is Robo Justin here? Or is That's, he not here today? Not not here yet. Not here yet. But he may be by the end of the week. We'll see. And we'll talk about, of course, the prescient issues of the news. So let's let's get into the news. Also, I need to mention I need to mention just a little thing that well, yes, yes. The fact that I, I did sing the national anthem of the nineteen eighty five Super Bowl. And if you look it up on YouTube, you will see me right there singing the national anthem. I'm definitely doing that tonight. A third row to the back, along with 300 other kids in a big choir. <laughs> a day that will live in infamy. So it, it wasn't quite Beyonce, right? It wasn't a solo. <laughs> I was there with... Hey, just so, to say that you did that, though, That's man. cool, though, right? I, I always win that game. Two truths, one lie. 
Because everyone goes, that's that's, that's no that's, way, no way, right? And I always win. All right, let's go to the news real quick. We got a few minutes before this segment ends, and I want to talk about some of the things that are happening. First of all, of course, the debt ceiling is coming up. All right, I mean, let's face it, <laughs> we are knee deep in this. I'm looking up the scrolls right now. I got these screens in the studio here, and we are just about mm, one trillion. I think we're about half a trillion dollars away from hitting. 32 trillion dollars okay we're pretty close we'll get there we'll get there before the so uh, that's that's a number that supercomputers probably have a headache running Uh, i mean what does it truly mean for uncle sam and for us well here's one way to look at it we are shelling out more in interest payments on that monstrous debt than we spend on our entire defense budget in a year that's right more dollars are flowing into the pockets of our creditors than are used to secure our nation And as taxpayers, I think we'd rather see our hard-earned money being used to fund essential programs than just setting the interest tab, right? Okay, here's another way to think of it, okay? If we were to divvy up this enormous debt among all of us, we'd each be on the hook for about $250,000. Okay, so it's it's like buying a small house without actually getting the house. You're in debt. It's a bill that'll keep giving. Giving to our kids and our grandkids beyond a welcome. I stick the bill to the kids. Another topic we'll be talking about is how no one's having any kids. That'll come up at some point here, I'm sure, this week. But they just want to keep printing and spending money, Justin. I know. It's, it's unfortunate. And I wish I, I wish there was a spigot we could turn that off. Oh, there is. It's called the ballot box, but um, didn't quite work out as we hoped last November. I'm hoping that some things turn around here. Of course, things are heating up because it's going to be a presidential year, and that's going to be quite the the fair there. In fact, but let's before we go there, let's let's play this clip. It's clip three. Andy Biggs talking about the debt limits and what's happening with the talks, especially President Biden. Think that we can just keep spending money? All right, I, I do want to get to this. The president says he's done his part. I, I still am not clear on what that is yet. Um, And he says he's blameless when it comes to the debt ceiling talks, a very different narrative than this campaign promise. Let's watch. It's here. Harry Truman said it. It means no excuses. It means taking responsibility, the ultimate responsibility for the biggest decisions in the world. Congressman, your reaction. (laughs) Oh, my. my. (laughs) You're laughing. Yeah, well, I mean, what do you say to that? I mean, here's a guy that would refuse to negotiate at all, Harris. And then when he refused to negotiate, uh, so the House said, okay, well, we're going to go ahead and put a plan out there. We put a plan out, and he says he's still not going to negotiate. The House put a plan out about a month ago, and he refused to negotiate. Chuck Schumer should have mm. taken it up, which is what you do with legislation. He should have taken it up, had his vote, uh, amended it, done whatever he thought should be done. And then we'd be having a conference committee and we'd be pretty, pretty well on our way. But that's not what's happened here. He has basically said, well, I'm going to re- I'm going to use the 14th Amendment, which is bogus uh, on its face. Um, then he said then he said, we're going to spend more money. Then he said, we're going to spend less money. He doesn't even know what his position is. Wow. Is for him to say he's blameless is absolutely, utterly ridiculous. But that- uh, Yeah, it really is. I mean, this this has been going on for so long now. And, of course, we, we have a note that they refused to negotiate when we started approaching them on this three months ago. Now, I was up on Capitol Hill myself with a group of people, our, our ragtag group again, 
And we were visiting with congressmen and their offices. We met with uh, Congressman Biggs' office. And I heard directly from the staff. They're like, I don't know what's going on. They're not. <laughs> the Democrats were not serious about this. They wanted this as a political issue. Now, the markets have, uh, they, they, they're very, very cautious about all these things. So the markets have been very evenly keeled as it looks like they're going to come to some agreement. But I wouldn't be surprised if someone wants to make political hay of this. And I don't think it's going to be the Republicans. Basically, the Republicans have said, what we're going to do is we're going to give you like, you know, a 1% increase and let's go back to a budget that was pre-COVID. We're spending all this money. I mean, there is still billions of dollars out there for like plexiglass and for air conditioning of different sort of filters throughout schools. And you have the Essers 2 money. And it's it's a crazy scene. And I'm worried about what's going to happen there. So we're going to be very cautious. We're going to be looking for these things and try to uh, understand and, and divulge all the different nooks and crannies as the week progresses. Because that's going to be a topic every week, and we'll see how that transpires. When we come back from the break, we're going to be talking about Tim Scott and his next move announcing his candidacy for president of the United States. This is Justin Hart in for the Andrea K Show. AK, dynamite and address. Or just Andrea K. Whatever you call her, don't call her fake news. It's the Andrea K Show on the Answer San Diego. You know, Noah, this dress is just a little tight on me. Yeah, we should have actually had something custom made for oh. you. Sorry about that. You know, I'll, I'll talk to Andrea next time. I'll. Uh, I, I prefer deep red too. This red is just a little bit too Nancy Reagan. I think it's great, but it just doesn't look great. Yeah, you're more on me. of a brick red kind of a guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Well, let's let's talk a moment. I want you to consider the story of a child who was born in the heartland of America's South. This is Charleston, South Carolina. It's the late 1960s, and this this narrative that unfolds is is one where. This child faces incredible hardships, and against all odds, resilience, perseverance, transformative power of human potential, that's the story here. And it's a tale that really underscores how adversity can shape your character and how determination can forge extraordinary success. And so this child was raised in distinctly modest settings. And the boy was brought up by a single mother. She worked arduously as a as a nurse's assistant. She clocked in like six hours a day to provide for her family. The boy, along with his mother, they lived with their grandparents. His grandfather battled alcoholism most of his life. He was kind of a, a silent figure. He had to spend his life in the cotton fields. That That really marked him with kind of a unspoken resilience and the household was humble and it was fraught with challenges and this was kind of the crucible where the young hero's spirit was temp- tempered okay and as for the boy you know he, school didn't come easy by ninth grade he found that he was on the verge of flunking four subjects and, and in perspective he didn't like academics it really countered 
the distinct contrast between his daily existence, where survival was all that mattered. But life, life has a mysterious way of turns and twists, and he, he got introduced to a man named John Moniz, and, and this guy was a local Chick-fil-A operator. Moniz took an interest in the young boy. I don't know if he sensed like some untapped potential that lay beneath the surface, but over time, he became a mentor to the boy, right? Sharing not only you know Chick-fil-A nuggets, but also nuggets of wisdom and life lessons. And Moniz taught him about the significance of personal responsibility, taught him entrepreneurship and that spirit, the true value of hard work. And slowly but surely, the boy began to view his world very differently. His adversities weren't insurmountable obstacles, but they were there are moments where he could spur growth, self-improvement. He started to grasp the power of education as a vehicle for transcending these circumstances. And so he had newfound determination and he turned his academic performance around. Graduated high school, earned a law degree, He went to a law practice. He transitioned into the insurance business. He ventured into real estate. And each of these roles helped shape him and his professional acumen and set the stage for kind of greater achievements down the road. So his business success wasn't his only goal. He really had a strong, civic-minded responsibility, as he says. And he entered the political arena, and he, he believed his voice and his experiences could could make a difference. He felt duty-bound to serve his community that had shaped him, and his grit, his determination, and he ascended kind of political ranks. 2013, he was appointed to the U.S. Senate, and it was a remarkable life journey, and it belongs to Tim Scott, who has now entered the field of candidates for the 2024 election. So he came from this very modest upbringing in South Carolina, and now he's in the halls of Cong- of the Senate. And it, and it really is. It's a story of this personal resilience, determination. you got to believe in your own potential. And it's a trajectory. And it's, it's really quite inspiring. It, and it demonstrates no matter where you are in life, it's your determination. He, he got scant views off to the side eye. You're black. Why are you a Republican? And he talks about how this just he, he just drove himself towards understanding truth and what that meant and doing what is right. And so that's the the saga where we find ourselves. I think it's an inspirational story. I have my own preferences when it comes to the presidential candidacies coming up. We could talk about that later in the show. But I I think he deserves mention because he's an articulate guy and uh, his story is very inspirational. Let's let's play a clip from today. Tim Scott, his, his... Announcement for his presidential campaign. We live in the land of opportunity. We live in the land where it is absolutely possible for a kid raised in poverty, in a single-parent household, in a small apartment, to one day serve in the people's house. And maybe even the White House. This, this is the greatest nation on God's green earth. 
Today I'm thinking back to my grandfather, born in 1921 in Sally, South Carolina, in the Deep South. By the time he was in the third grade, he was forced out of school, his education was over, and he was forced to start picking cotton. But my grandfather lived long enough to watch his grandson pick out a seat in Congress. That's great. I I love how he brings those personal stories in there because it is inspirational. So we'll see how he does. The field is getting I'm crowded. I'm excited. I, I think it, it, it's good that he's actually, I think he'll be one of the front runners for sure. I think so too. I think this is for conservative movement, even more so than Republicans. If you look at that backbench of supporters behind who was the front runner, as we acknowledge President Trump, that it's a good bunch. We have, of course, the governor from Florida, which we expect announcement here within the next week or so. We have uh, Nikki Haley, who, although you might have differences, is still a very articulate and accomplished woman. You have, of course, Tim Scott now. You've got other people who are getting into the race. You look at even the governor of Virginia. You look at Brian Kemp from Georgia. You look up north in New York, and there's lots of people there. There are some great, great backbenchers that I think we can be proud of, and this is going to be quite the interesting primary. Take heart, take heart. I'll, I will walk you through a couple of these things this week, and it should be uh, an interesting ride there. So that's that's Tim Scott, and he'll be uh, up in there. But uh, I want to I want to take a step back because you need to sort of recognize what we're up against, right? We're, we're going to venture sometimes this week into the labyrinth of the contemporary world, and beneath that facade that our health overlords. And the woke leftists have constructed for us, these are the powers that be. Frankly, we have to admit it. We have lost election after election since 2018. Fewer and fewer down-ballot states, down-ballot senators, congressmen. The margins are very, very thin. We had hoped for a big plus in 2022. So we have to to understand what we're up against, right? Right. And people and, need to start figuring that out now while we still have time to strategize. Yeah. I mean, we, 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 we kind of sat back on our laurels. And it's true. As I wrote in October of last year, COVID killed the red wave. And it killed it because there were 17 states like our own here in California where mail-in ballots became the norm. Now, that, that genie is out of the bottle. It's it's impo- almost impossible to put that back in. It's unfortunate because we really considered that elections are all about energy. And I guarantee you if we had not had those 2020 mail-home universal ballots, Gavin Newsom would not be our governor right now. Because if it was all about who you got to the polls, we would have won hands down. But times change, and we're going to have to adapt with those. But the question is, who are they? And what do they want in the end, right? I mean, it's an aftermath of the last t- few tumultuous years, and we have to ask, what's what's the end game they seek? Is it a pursuit of power? Is it the thrill of the process, right? Is it just some twisted to-the-death chess game that they're on the global stage? Well, Justin, as you're about to describe it, I, I don't think the end game has changed. It's just it's been reconstructed and retooled. Right, and I think it, they're kind of – they're the ultimate – universal uh, busybodies, right? Tucker Carlson would allude to this, and I think it's accurate. 
you know, a, a farmer, a family in suburbia San Diego or in Iowa, a farmer out there, the Midwest and Utah, wherever else there, they really, they don't think much about the sex lives or the stances of people in big blue New York or D.C. or, you know, down anywhere else where they're, where they're basically just trying to push the edge and, and push their pronouns in specific ways. They, they don't think about that until it enters their lives. But I guarantee you the inverse is not, is, is, is not true. That is, the people in New York, the activists in West L.A., the people in San Francisco, uh, the, here in San Diego, even Duke Blue little efforts here, they spend day and night just fretting and thinking, why do these folks in Iowa not like us? We really want them to like us. Why don't they like us? And so we really need to look strongly at that because I, I think, Noah, we're, we're, we're kind of treading on thin water unless we really understand that. All right, we're going to come back from the break in just a minute, I think, and then uh, we'll have some more stuff to talk to you. Amy Riker will be joining us at the top of the hour. Please stay around for that. That's going to be a great discussion. Something about Nathan Fletcher exiting stage left. Andrea K. Telling you like it is, all while eating a donut. The Andrea K. Show on The Answer San Diego. All right, let me rattle it off. This is Justin Hart in for Andrea. Andrea is gone all week. I will be with you every night this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I don't have to put the kids to bed either. I'm 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 hoping this leads to something because I'm losing a lot of brownie points, Noah. I I, my, uh, I hope you save the brownie points, though. So hopefully we'll, we, you'll come out at least about even. Love you, Jenny. It's my wife out there. She's She's got lots of kids to put to bed. But she's got the older kid back from college and the 14-year-old are home with us. So, you know, she's got lots of help there. Good, good. It'll be good. But uh, but I uh, doesn't, doesn't I'm, I'm not, I'm still have to get up at 6 or 5.30 when these kids break up at the crack of dawn. That's going to be rough. That's right. And we're coming up on summer, too. Uh, these are worse times. But with that, I wanted to give you just a quick rundown on to where things are as far as our financial situation goes. Because, you know, I was sitting the other day back, well, this was back in like February, and I was looking at the markets, and I know a little bit about this. And I was scrolling through on some of the charts on China, and I'm like, hey, China's economy looks like it's going to soar. Looks like they gave up those pesky COVID policies, and everything, all those restrictions lifted, and now they're as light as a feather, everything's going to go just fine. In fact, a lot of people were counting on that. The Federal Reserve has been chasing what we call the inflation bunny down the rabbit hole. They've been gauging everything they want to do on that inflation, but it's important that you understand the story behind what's transpiring now, because not a lot of people see it. Because right now we are in a deflationary state, which might sound good, except it's deflation for all the wrong reasons. And the hope was that China's economy would come roaring back and it would just lift all these boats all together because you remember the boats, right? A year and a half ago, two years ago, the boats, as far as the eye could see, off the coast of L.A. 
And why were they there? Because we have to roll it back a little bit there. The boats couldn't make it to shore because of COVID policies here in California, in part. They wouldn't allow the junior trainees on these cranes to train with the senior trainees because of COVID. They couldn't be in the same cabin together. That would be just absurd. Of course, they didn't have those problems in Florida. So all these boats are backed up. And they're backed up also because across seas in Singapore and Taiwan, COVID policies were just starting then. And so all this backlog started coming in. And meanwhile, prices started going up as the cost of shipping things over from Asia went through the roof. And so the supply chain clog, which was caused because of COVID policies. Why were the COVID policies there? Well, we kind of put them in place. So we have this situation where COVID policies were stay-at-home orders, business closures, and the like caused this terrible clog in the supply chain. Meanwhile, to compensate for people staying at home and going to double-digit unemployment across the country, we decided to print a bunch of money. About $100 billion of that went to waste because it was fraud, all the PPP loans. And then we went to the space where President Biden got elected. He He got more money that printed off and spent it in obscure and terrible ways. And we thought this is just going to lift everything right up. Instead, our dollar became worthless. And it it became a a really, really terrible moment. So, you know, don't get me started. It's a shocking series of events. And if you thought the Great Depression was a a distant memory, I, I just want you to cautiously think about that again. I don't mean to rattle chains here, but I do want to be very, very precise. Well, at least I want to paint with broad brushes right now. I'll be precise later. But we're teetering on the edge of really a financial precipice. It could send us hurtling to this global recession because everyone is going there at the same time. In 2008, when we had our last big recession, it wasn't always the recession just here in the United States. Then it was the recession somewhere else. It happened in those waves, much like COVID, right? We had COVID. China had COVID first. Then they kind of reopened up. Then we had COVID next. Then we kind of opened up. Then China got it again. Then Singapore. Then Australia. Then the UK. I mean, it just went in these terrible waves. So we're going to have to be aware of this because that cascade of terribleness, because it all began with this global pandemic, shockwaves through through society, businesses shuttered, livelihoods devastated, the very heartbeat of commerce ground to an alarming halt, stay-at-home orders. This dealt a crippling blow to the economy, ushering in an immediate recession. Then came mass unemployment and a nightmarish sequel to an already bleak tale. Millions of jobs left. The powers that be scrambled to find a solution. They thought, oh, let's, let's crank up the printing presses, get some green out there. Trillions of dollars flowed. And it was like watching a bad movie where the government plays Santa Claus with taxpayer money. And what did the states do? Well, they decided to join in the free money giveaway, further exacerbating the situation. And if this wasn't an already epic disaster, we saw hundreds of billions lost to fraudulent claims, as I said. It was an absolute disaster across the country. It was a veritable carnival of financial mismanagement. And the fallout from these questionable decisions caused a massive devaluation of the dollar, a bloated money supply that 
would make the Weimar Republic economists sh- shudder. You know, it it was the supply chain then looked more like a twisted pretzel. And add to this the workforce content to recline in their couches. Checks in hands, you've got a recipe for economic disaster. So enter the new administration, sprinting onto this chaotic scene and deciding, oh, what we need is a breathtaking display of more printing. Never mind that we were already in the throes of economic catastrophe. Why not throw some more fuel on the fire? And this makes rookie economics cringe. The Federal Reserve decided, let's raise interest rates, but also we're going to encourage people to buy American bonds. And they encouraged money to be coming in at these rates, inflated rates, only to scramble and realize, oh, we need to chase down this inflation monkey, right? And so you see the volatility in everything, whether it's TVs at Costco, whether it's your gas prices up and down, whether it's a banana, to quote a famous scene from a fun TV show, oh, what can a banana cost? Ten bucks? And so here we are standing on the precipice of this recession, or, or worse, a global depression. And it's a dizzying descent because it was thought that China would save us, that they're not going to. And now we have these inverted yield curves. If you ever wondered what that meant, basically, in, in layman's terms, is you're, you're basically giving money to the government to borrow. Okay, that way it gives a little bit more fluidity to cash flow to the government. They pull some money out of the market, which makes the, the dollar worth more. And usually, you know, you have a certain return on a, on, a, on a short round and a larger return on holding the money longer or giving the money to the government and, and getting that 10 to 20 to 30 years down the road. When the curves invert, it means the opposite is happening. It means the government desperately wants your money right now, and then it also is going to be worth less down the road. So that inverted yield has now occurred, and we're going to see some crazy, crazy financials happen because of it. And, and, and that's what the Fed infers here. They keep kind of shedding this wool over your eyes, and they're slowly pulling it back because even they realize once those banking systems started to collapse, SVB, Credit Suisse, PacWest, and beyond, right? All the and and then here locally we had uh, First Republic. You know, all these banking elements started falling like dominoes in the wayside because they had invested money on the advice of the Fed, and then the Fed started dropping rates, and now those bonds were worth less. And all of us are worth less because of it. And, and so just look for these next numbers. I'll give you one, for example. Over the course of the last two months, you haven't seen it, but banks have basically borrowed through a very obscure mechanism a bunch of money, like almost a trillion dollars from the U.S. government to shore up their reserves because they didn't hedge things right. So look out for it. It's going to be quite the ride. Although, I have a final have, question for you, hear Justin, it. before yes. we go to break. Do you think, uh, this is something Andrea and I had debated, maybe that these bank failures, these regional bank failures to maybe just leave the big players in the end, maybe that's what the government wants? It's possible, right? Uh, I, I don't think it's planned, though. I, I, I don't think they anticipated this at all. And the thing is, there's one less shoe to drop. And we'll talk about that through the week. That's commercial real estate. 
you and I are sitting in a building right now, and we're sitting into some shiny buildings here in San Diego. And I don't know if you noticed, because I work next door sometimes at a shared office. There's not a lot of foot traffic happening between here and there. And those, those you have these two, you know, kind of nice little niche restaurants here. I, I go there for breakfast for the one down in the building, and then I go to the lunch one over there. Good, good food. Not a ton of traffic, right? And that's the story across every city in the country. And when those leases start flipping over, I think we're going to see it. So hold tight. One more segment, and then we're going to have Amy Reichert on at the top of the hour. Stay with us. This is Justin Hart in for Andrea. Andrea K. Bringing the world a much-needed reality check. You're listening to The Andrea K Show on The Answer San Diego. Okay. Hip it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to I, I give you some bumper music tomorrow. I like this is good, but I, I want to get a, a flavor of, of Justin while I have the, the magic helm. But we'll see. I, I, I like his choices. But I got to feel like I, I was watching an 80s show last night about Nike and the uh, the origin of uh, of uh, Air Jordan. And that got me all jazzed about 80 music. And I, I had my playlist going today. But uh, we're, we're going to fast forward now because back then in the 80s, <clears throat> there really wasn't the vision of what is now upon us. The avenue, the foothold, the precipice of artificial intelligence is now here, and it is a magnificent disruptor. I know a lot of people do not agree with me on this. Even my wife takes issue with my obsession with artificial intelligence of not. And we're just not just talking about a, a gentle nudge here. AI is shaking things up dramatically. It's obliterating old norms, and it's ushering in kind of a, a new era. Even time and space will bend to its will. I'm being a little bit uh, hyperbolic here, but the, the story is of AI's grand takeover, and I think it's a positive one. At least I hope so. And it's, a, and it's an accelerated era of art creation. It's a shattering temple confines. It's going to obliterate spatial limitations. Here's what I mean, okay? Art right now exists in time and space. So, for example, if I hang, to hang a painting, it's, it's got to go somewhere, right? Uh, I could, for example, listen to all of the works of Bach in a weekend, but I probably couldn't read all the works of Goethe over that same weekend. And now, you might be able to produce those same artistic modes, art, music, literature in the space of a weekend. Tradition and Malcolm Gladwell made famous the the notion that it takes about 10,000 hours of tireless dedication to master an art form over time. And so AI has just dropped dynamite on that concept. Artists can now produce masterpieces in mere minutes. AI gobbles up data, digesting styles and techniques from a plethora of artists and writers like a hungry scholar. And AI offers up this buffet of creative freedom that leaps over human limitations. 
And consider, for example, what's known as GANs, Generative Adversarial Networks. And it empowers people from words to spawn art within minutes that would make Michelangelo do a double take. And it's disrupting industries as we speak. In some instances, in my job, for example, my day job is political fundraising over text messages. So first of all, apologies. (laughs) But it's very effective. But it has cut the time it takes to do my job in half. And I remember, I remember uh, way back when, when uh, I had my first job out of college, and my uh, my dad uh, had had finagled something where I got like just an internship. I don't think he was even paid, but I was in in this job and had the promise of going somewhere. This was in San Francisco, and I remember I realized very quickly this was 1989, 1990, and I realized I could cut the time it takes to do this job in half just by building an Excel macro. And my dad was concerned. He's like, well, what if you get rid of this job? And I said, if I got rid of this job, I think they'll find something better for me. I hope that's where we're going to be because this is happening all over the world. I was just looking through some of these great clips that uh, Noah has for me, and the flip side is also very dangerous. So, for example, the markets at one time yesterday – took a huge dip, and they took a huge dip because someone had manufactured an AI-generated photo of an explosion at the Pentagon, and it caused quite a bit of panic there. Elsewhere, and I've demonstrated on this show, and it's it's possible I will show it again, they are uh, duplicating and cloning people's thoughts, brains, voices, and everything else there. Don't be afraid of this, folks. If you can't live forever physically, you might live forever with AI. I I don't know. I don't know. But uh, at the same time, this is going to cause some immense leaps forth. They've already, for example, found seven different proteins that they think could be possible cures for cancer. Things that literally months ago they had no idea about. And this by just feeding a database into something and having it it read itself over and over again. But also, they cloned Frank Sinatra's voice to, to to sing some pretty raunchy rap lyrics. That that didn't go over well. That's not this bumper. And I promise, no, I won't play that bumper either. All right, come to us, top of the hour. Amy Reich are going to join us. And we'll talk some more stuff in the next hour. Justin Hart in for Andrea Kay. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.